Hi, Joe here, and I'm psyched to share today's episode with you with the absolutely wonderful Jenny Johnson, MBE. Uh, so psyched that I've used the word psyched, which hasn't been used since Ant and Deck were releasing music back in the 1990s. Anyway, normally I like to start these episodes with a nice, neat little lead focused on what the main theme is behind the episode, but there's so much great stuff in this conversation that I'm really kind of struggling to do that. Jenny was really generous with her time. She shares the story of her early career, how her circumstances and her gut instinct led her to quit a successful sales career after a chain, train journey down to London, how she started her first business, Kids Allowed, which many people in the Greater Manchester area will be familiar with. And despite no experience in that sector, she built it organically. Um, she talks through the financial pressures that came with that, not just for the business, but for her personally. Um, and then the point at which she decided to exit that business after many years of dedicating her life to building it. But the focus of this conversation is really trying to get stuck into Jenny's attempts to retire and why her excitement in the idea of her new business, my first five years, led her to scrap those plans and found this new exciting business. And of course, we talk about my first five years in some detail. It's a hugely exciting ed tech business based in Greater Manchester. They shaped the service that the app has provided. And Jenny's now launching that and scaling that business and leaning on her experience as a second time founder to rapidly scale. Whew. Anyway, without further ado, I'm off to catch my breath. So do enjoy this conversation with Jenny Johnson, MBE. Hello and welcome to Greater Manchester Business Stories, where I'm delighted to be joined this week by Jenny Johnson, MBE, the co-founder of My First Five Years. Jenny, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me on. No, no worries. Well, look, I, I guess this is a, an exciting and timely conversation because the app has launched in the last three weeks. And, and I think I said off camera, we've, uh, I've been lying about my six-year-old's age so I could download it and get into the system and start testing and trying it out. So Really keen to kind of share more about what the app's about, but can you start by just telling us a little bit about you growing up in Greater Manchester and your your kind of early career and, and what you were up to prior to my first five years? Yeah, so um, I spent most of my younger years in Salford. So I uh, grew up on Earlham of the Height, went to school in Salford, um, left school at 16 and went to work at my dad's um, IT company. I was only meant to work there over the summer. I was meant to be starting Eccles College in the September of that year, but I absolutely loved work and I loved, even though I was only in the post room, opening the post and distributing the post and packing it back up again at the other end of the day, I just loved it. Um, so I never went to college, slightly broke my mum's heart at the time because she was hoping I was going to be the first of the family to go to university, but that wasn't um, meant to be. So my connections, my roots are very much a, a Salford girl and proud of it. Fantastic. The post room at the IT company. Then, so talk a little bit about that, and I guess what that led to. Then, did you did you uh, end up doing other things within within your dad's IT company, or did you move on somewhere else after that? Yeah, I was there for a long time, and um, one of the great things about um, my dad's IT company that it was full of um, really nice looking young lads, and I was a <laughs> six year old girl. Um, and there weren't many of us, so um, I actually met my husband within the first year of working there. So I met my husband when I was 17. He works at the company as well, uh, dating the boss's daughter, which was probably very brave of him. Um, but we're still married. Uh, we got married seven years later and 25 years married so far. 
So, yeah, um, other than meeting my future husband there, um, I went on to um, really excel in sales. Um, I was sort of a natural salesperson. Um, and over a long period of time, ended up running the sales function within the business. So my background prior to starting the childcare company I started was very much all about IT. And uh, quite interesting that I've come full circle and the co-founder of an edtech company. So I'm calling on all of that knowledge, even though it's 20 odd years out of date, it's still, you know, the, the principles are, are similar. So I'm back on a steep learning curve, reminding myself what it's all about. Oh, brilliant. And, and, and what, what a great experience that must be to get to work with your dad and in a family business for that period of time as well. I imagine yeah. that kind of, that's got a nice, a nice, um, some nice memories associated with it as well as, as well as meeting the, uh, the husband as well at the same time. <laughs> and so, so IT, I guess, really interesting that, that you started off in that sector, and like you say, kind of coming full circle now, but jumping from that sector into um, education, because a lot of people will know, will know you from the Kids Allowed chain, which is an incredibly successful childcare chain um, that many, many of my friends that have kind of been through childhood, we were always just slight, slightly outside of the, the area for our commutes, but had their kids go through the, the Kids Allowed um, nurseries. Can you talk about how how that change from IT into childcare came about? Yeah, it came about because um, I was pregnant with my second child, um, and sadly, my mum passed away when I was eight and a half months pregnant, and mm. that meant that I had to start going and having a look at what was available for my uh, child to use, so that I could get back to work. Probably would have never needed to look at childcare had those circumstances not happened. But I remember um, looking around at what was readily available. And I always couch this story because this is 20 years ago. So this is not me having a pop at the childcare that's available now. But 20 years ago, without exception, and we spent all day looking, myself and my husband left every single one of them going, nope, nope, nope. Could not find anywhere that we were happy with. So um, I tried to make do amend. So I had a combination of my best friend, my mother-in-law and my gran um look after um jasmine my second one to allow me to get back to work full time but informal childcare is extremely problematic um and my grand bless her um absolutely adored my grand she's not with us anymore but there's a couple of things my grand was old school so she didn't really understand what i was doing working anyway yeah. and i genuinely don't think she understood how critical it was that on the day that she said she was going to have jasmine that she would have jasmine um, and occasionally she'd ring and say, you know, not feeling 100% today, is it okay if Jasmine doesn't come? And because I'm well brought up, I'd always say, no problem, Gran, no problem at all. I'd put the phone down and have a meltdown because <laughs> um, my childcare arrangements had gone awry. But the day where the um, eureka moment happened for Kids Aloud was one such day where I'd had that phone call from my gran. But the difference with that day was that I had a timed train to get to London so I had the time ticket because we all get time tickets, don't we? Nobody can afford an open return. So um, I had to literally, you know, sort out my childcare dramas that morning um, to make the train. And it was just one of the most stressful mornings I think I've ever had in my life. Um, and I remember being the last person to board the train, almost missed it, sat down and my heart rate was just, I think I must have been clinically dead. If I'd have had a heart rate monitor on, they'd have said that I shouldn't be in as a human. I was so stressed. And within five, 10 minutes of calming down, I was like, right, childcare. It's childcare that's causing all my dramas. And by the time I got to London, I had a fully formed idea of what the sort of childcare company 
I would want to be happy with to send my daughter. And it was all about, you know, not just about the people delivering the childcare, but the facilities. And, you know, one of the things I didn't like back at the time when I was looking 20 years ago was that I was going into sort of converted houses and just feeling like, well, after I've dropped my kitty into that room, what else have they got access to that day? You know, how did they get to the toilet? How did they get to play in the garden? There was a lot of functional things I didn't like. So for me, one of the things that really mattered was that we had purpose-built settings. And another thing that I was really passionate about was that I wanted my child to get out all day, every day. So if it was a beautiful day, I didn't want her to have to wait for her turn to get the hour in the garden. I wanted the doors flung open and I wanted to be able to, her to be able to go and enjoy herself. So I listed all these things that really mattered. And by the journey home, I'd come up with the name. I'd checked it out, registered it when I got home so that I registered the website. And um, the next day, and this is the absolute truth, I handed him a notice. I literally, within 24 hours of having the idea, I was so sure of myself that it needed doing and I could do it, that I handed him a notice. And I talk about this a lot because I think um, a lot of people have brilliant ideas, but then wait for the perfect moment. Yeah. And they never come. Perfect moments never happen. And I think um, I term it perfection paralysis. Um, and, and it stops you from doing things that you would otherwise do. So I do talk quite a lot about um, jumping in with both feet and figuring it out. And clearly before you do that, you have to figure out, can you afford to lose whatever it is you might lose? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for me, because I've done exactly the same the second time round, you know, once I know, when, once I feel something, I get on with it. Yeah. It's a brilliant story. And I think as parents of young kids, we've, we've all been there and we've had those real kind of stress moments and, you know, whether it's childcare, illness, you know, school, nursery, et cetera, childcare is, um, is one of those things that's just so, if you get it right, it can bring so much balance. And it sounds like really you just started from you as a parent and what you were looking for that the market wasn't delivering against um yeah the the next step is you're an it sales director (laughs) with with no kind of like i guess formal experience of that childcare sector so how how do you go about making that happen how did you go go about making that happen having taken that decision yeah and I look back and I wonder why I was so brave and so confident. Um, but I was, thankfully, because yeah. um, probably slightly mad, if I'm honest, um, because I gave up a really well-paid job to go and sort of do what I was doing. Um, I just knew from speaking to other parents that this was a big issue. Yeah, yeah. What I wanted to do was totally turn it on its head and make it all about what parents needed. And not just the childcare. Of course, the childcare was at the core of everything. And, and having a happy child releases so much of the stress and anxiety that you feel. But then it was all about all the other services around it. So we did things like haircuts and um, look after you, you know, post your post for you, or you could get a parcel delivered, all sorts of other yeah, what we call yeah. parent concierge services as well. Yeah. So, um, but go, so basically, we formed this into a business plan. And put it out there to to raise funds against it. Um, We remortgaged our house. Um, I had a co-founder that approached with the idea and she got involved and she remortgaged her house. And back in the day, there was this thing called the Small Firms Loan Guarantee Scheme. Um, And basically, we sort of pulled together 
a, a package of funding and then found a property developer that was willing to build two buildings for us. Now, I make that sound fairly simple, but it really wasn't. The funding package in total was £5 million. And when you think about it, again, it's crazy. I had no background in childcare. I was, my qualifications were that I was a mum. But I think with the passion, with the well-thought-through plan and the fact that we were in there to become best-in-class and really sort of shake up a sector, it just resonated. One thing it did do is take a lot longer than I expected to raise the money. So I, you know, was quite blasé to begin with thinking, yeah, I can get by without earning a salary for six months um, while we go and get this business off the ground. It took 18 months to secure the funding. And, and by the end of that 18 months, that had got incredibly painful from a personal finance point of view. That was 18 months of not earning any money. Um, and the one thing I wish I'd have done differently is I carried on living my life like I was still earning good money. Yeah. I didn't change any of my personal spending habits. And I got into an eye-watering amount of debt in that time. And um, we just put everything on credit cards. And back in the day, it was dead easy to apply for another credit card and you'd sort of transfer your debt to a new one and keep transferring the balances across from each other. It was just ridiculous. Um, it took me about 10 years to pay them all off. Really? But anyway, it has a happy ending, obviously. But when I look back, of course, I should have cut my cloth. I, I, I was no longer earning any money and I should have really, you know, started to make some different personal decisions about how I was spending my cash. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think that's a really a really valuable point or a really valuable part of the story to share with people, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people see the, they just see it from the outside and and, and they probably see with Kids Aloud, I guess, a, a consistent kind of success and growth story. And like you say, the mm-hmm. kind of happy ending to the business. but um that you know that obviously ha- didn't come without kind of sacrifices or stressful moments along the way like uh like growing most small businesses yeah i think a lot of entrepreneurs that found their own businesses put themselves in a lot of financial peril um i think for probably the best part of 15 years we lived beyond our means had huge amounts of debt you know mortgaged up to the hill and and I am delighted it all has a happy ending and that we managed to sort that out and get ourselves straight. But there were times along the way where we just thought, gosh, if something went wrong now, we'd be out, we'd be out on the streets within about three or four weeks. We just had no buffer at all. Um, so yeah, I think I would definitely caution people just to think about that. <laughs> You're getting me stressed by association now, Jenny. Um, uh, and, and, and just um, to, to kind of wrap up the, the Kids Allowed story, that started in 2003 then. So where was the first site and how did that grow over the, the next kind of 17 years? I can't remember the detail, if I'm honest, but I think the first site opened about 2005. So hence, the you know, it took 18 months to get it funded and then a further nine months to physically build the building because they were brand new. And then pretty much we were probably opening a centre every other every other year. We got to we grew to eight centres. Um, we had around five hundred colleagues. Um, we looked after around two thousand children a week. Um, so it was just sort of slow, steady, organic growth. Yeah. Um, I remember our chairman at the time trying to encourage me to you know go bigger and faster. And but for me. One of the things I would say as a sort of a Manchester girl was that one of my rules for where the sites were, because in my IT days, I used to travel all over the place. I'd, I'd do, you know, three, four hour 
journeys to go and have a two-hour meeting or to work a full day of consultants and then come back. So I did loads of commuting in that role. And I didn't want to do that again. I hated, you know, being in the car for hours and hours on end. So my rule was back to the bed again, um, that I needed to be able to get to any of my sites within 30 minutes of my bed. So <laughs> I had a really tight, a really tight cluster, which was fantastic from the point of view of managing a cluster and them operating, you know, and supporting each other and staff covering staff in other um centers and so on. It's a really brilliant way to grow yeah, a, yeah. a cluster of high quality um childcare centre. And I think that was one of the things that appealed when we came to market then to sell the business, that we just had this really well-managed, tight cluster. But yeah, the, the rule was really 30 minutes from Jenny's bed. Okay. Lo- love it. I love it. As you say, it grew or- organically, I suppose, from the outside kind of consistently. And and, and, and it, um, I think self-funded, I think I think you talked about it's kind of after that initial funds coming into the business, kind of it was self-funded through cash flows, it grew. But suddenly you're running a company with is it 400 employees, I think, kind of two and a half, 2,000 children going through your books? Did that, was there a moment of realisation on that journey? You're like, oh, actually, I'm running a thing of size now or was because of that ambition that you'd gone into with it and the kind of vision for it, did, was it just a matter of you were just fulfilling that kind of destiny that you set out to anyway to kind of create something quite special in the sector? Yeah, the size of the business was no surprise. It was the intention was to grow a group, a high quality group. I think what dawned on me very, very quickly was the unbelievable responsibility that we had day in, day out. You know, people were dropping their children to us, their most precious thing. And we were responsible for making sure those children got home to them alive and well and happy and well-fed and nurtured and nourished. And it's a huge responsibility. Um, it's very labour intensive. So, you know, we got up to 500 colleagues in the end. So you can imagine, you know, the, the challenges of, of running a high performing team um, at that scale. The thing in the end that did for me, the thing that made me decide that I needed to, to sell the business and, and, and move on was the just insane amount of regulation around childcare. And I get it. I get that children are so important that we need to make sure that they're looked after well. But for me, the regulators had powers beyond reason, but were also not consistent with how they use those powers. So we were dealing with Ofsted being the main one. Um, And I think if you speak to any teacher, head teacher, nursery owner, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, knowing that they can walk through the door at any time and, and you're in the hands of an individual and the sort of mood that they happen to be in that day um but in addition to that we were a licensed taxi firm because we had a fleet of 17 minibuses so we literally were a licensed taxi firm we had eight commercial kitchens that were doing you know 2,000 covers a day three times a day so those moving parts of the business and the complexities of the business just got to the point in the end it was a I had two off-site inspections one day after the other. And it was when I got the call to say the second one was happening. I was just like, do you know what? I'm done. I'm not living under this pressure anymore. <laughs> and um, that was the trigger for me to decide that it was time. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, I think it's worth pointing out Kids Aloud had a fantastic off-step record, didn't it? So it wasn't... Uh, oh, God, yeah. We had, we had the best record in the, yeah, in the yeah. country. We were literally number one yeah. on the league table. But the thing is, when you're the best, 
maintaining that level and being in the hands of, you know, an individual that walks through the door. And it was actually um, one of the inspections we had that week, the week that I decided to, to, I couldn't do it anymore, was, in my view, unpleasant and aggressive. And, you know, I just really felt vulnerable to individuals coming into the business and it just felt like a bit of an agenda. So it is what it is. Was the one, was the not one? doesn't really matter. That's how it felt. And uh, it was the trigger for me to say, I'm done. Because yeah. the other thing, when you run a business like this, you don't go on holiday and switch off. You go on holiday and you're still responsible for 2,000 children. So there was never any respite from it, really. And I think it was that sort of need to just stop yeah. and put myself, my, my own mental health, my own physical health, just to say, I've put 17 years into this, but I don't think I've done much longer. Well, 17 years is a... Is a phenomenal stint, particularly when in a sector like that that does seem to be, as you say, from the outside, incredibly intense and incredibly complex and, and probably incredibly stressful as well. Um, yeah. yeah, we used to call it early years intense. That was a little phrase that we had. This is really early years intense, this. <laughs> and when you worked in it, you knew what that meant. And so you sold the business and tried to retire? Tried. Tried. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I had an amazing year out. Um, we sold the business just before COVID, and who could have possibly known that? Nobody knew that. Um, but I think that changed a lot in how I thought about things because I did expect to grieve selling the business for quite a lot longer than I did. But I think when COVID hit, there was, first of all, a sense of relief that I wasn't at the helm of a business in such challenging times. Um, but then I just felt incredibly lucky that I was able to be home and that the only job I had during that period was just to be with my family and be as good a mum as I could possibly be and spend time with the kids and keep us all sane and just to be able to have that focus and not really need to worry about anything else was just, you know, I wouldn't have wished COVID on the world or my family. But as regards the COVID experience, then we were able to, you know, just look look after each other and look after our neighbours and support the wider community. But it was just a time of, we'll never get that time again, will we? We wouldn't wish it on ourselves, we wouldn't want it again, but, but we were just able to focus in on ourselves for a year and do very little. And out of that kind of inward reflection and, and that kind of family time, that I guess my first five years as was was born out of that is that is it something that had kind of proceeded that, that, that kind of overlapped with kids allowed or is it something that um no it was an, a, another eureka moment it yeah. was generally something that popped into my head similar to how kids allowed happened so i'd had no thoughts about my first five years it wasn't something that was rumbling in the background and in fact during the year i was off a couple of ideas had popped into my head and i sort of done a bit of Jenny DD, I call it Jenny due, due diligence, and it didn't pass muster. So, you know, nothing happened with it. But this particular idea, and I know what the trigger was, um, I watched a video from a friend showing something that their child was doing. Um, and I've not met this child because of COVID, uh, you know, so the way that we were keeping in touch was via little videos. And I watched this video and I was like, oh gosh, look what, look what kid is doing uh, that's amazing that's something that precedes writing and I bet mum doesn't know that 
Uh, Mum just thinks it's a cute video, but I'm looking at it with my early years eyes. So I picked up the phone and I said, I just thought I'd share with you what I'm seeing in that video. And mum was just blown away. She was just like, oh, you know, that's just so good to hear because I'm here, you know, I'm isolated from everybody. You start to overthink, is he doing what he should be doing? Is he ahead? Is he behind? Is he doing what he should be doing? She said, you telling me that has just given me so much confidence that he's learning and that everything's going to be fine. Didn't really think anything of it. It was just a really short conversation. Um, I went to bed and um, all I can think is that I must have been dreaming about it all night because it was just really weird. I, I literally sat bolt upright at six o'clock in the morning and had a fully formed idea in my head of an app that would put the knowledge that you know I have with my early years hat into parents' hands. Um, and I knew that I didn't have the skill set to do it all on my own. So I knew that I needed um, somebody else to sort of come into the, the, the business with me that was really and truly grounded in the academic side of early years. And I knew exactly who that was. Um, and I picked up the phone to him a couple of hours later and told him about the idea. And luckily for me, um, so the, the guy's called Alistair Bryce Clegg. He's, he's one of... Um, if you work in early years, you'd have heard of Alistair. And I used to work with Alistair on and off in the Kids Aloud days. So he'd come in and um, do consultancy and help us with our pedagogy because he's a real expert in what he does. Um, and usually if I'd rang Alistair and said, have you got any time to get involved in something? The answer was always no, because his diary is an early years consultant and an international speaker and so on. His diary was always booked up 18 months in advance. It was a nightmare to get any time off, even though he lived around the corner in Timperley. Um, but obviously with COVID, all his face-to-face -face work was put on hold. So he had capacity in his diary. And he said, if you'd have asked me this question any other time, no matter how much I wanted to do it, I'd have had to say no because my diary commitments would have been 18 months out. Um, but as it happens, yes. So. Um, we're just one of those things. It, it, we would definitely, I probably wouldn't have had the eureka moment had it not been for the situation. And Alistair certainly wouldn't have been available, even if I had of. So I guess it is a business born out of COVID. And the first four months of, of um, establishing the business was all done over Zoom. We didn't meet each other um, till I think it was four months in. And I remember it because it was a freezing cold day and we met in St. Anne Square in Manchester and we sat at the opposite end of the concrete benches <laughs> with a coffee in our hands yeah. trying to have a, a distanced meeting. Yeah. Um, yeah, just they're all stories, aren't they? They're all things yeah, you'll look yeah. up years to come and go, God, do you remember that, that first meeting we had in the freezing cold? <laughs> and and when, when you're in the sector and you've got that experience to share, I, I guess having been through it, you know, we got three boys. It is overwhelming. You talk about that experience of talking to a friend and them sharing something with you. And you, are, you, you do feel like you're sent home with this little person and it's kind of your responsibility. And I think I probably only took confidence in the fact that as soon as our boys were old enough and, and my wife had finished maternity leave, that they were going into a nursery type environment, that, that there was that kind of structure there and um, uh, that you would get the feedback, that you would get the developmental feedback through the nursery. But if, if you're just at home or if you've got other childcare arrangements, like you say, a lot of people lean on family, et cetera. So it, 
that does feel like a big gap, doesn't it? That 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 can create stress, that can create concern, that that you're keeping an eye on the child's developments in those in those first five years, and 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 your kind of the 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 Jenny due diligence and you experience it was that then quickly kind of reaching out to, you know, mums and dads and friends and families and kind of testing this this hypothesis that that there's real kind of value in this in this app app in the service. Yeah, so when I um, woke up at six o'clock, I lit, well, first of all, I woke my husband up and said, I've had this amazing idea and I was trying to get him all excited about it and he just wanted to get back to sleep. He was like, what, come on? <laughs> so I got out of bed and went into the home office and I started looking at the market of parenting apps and spent a couple of hours having a real sort of look around at what was available. And what became really apparent very, very quickly is that the apps that are out there at the moment are, I think they're anxiety-inducing. I think they kind of create anxiety rather than relieve anxiety because they're, they're what I call ages and stages. So they make these sweeping statements that a 12-week-old baby will be doing this or a 16-week-old baby will be doing this. So they talk in absolutes and there is no skill in the world that all 16-week-old babies magically start to do, if that makes sense. So, so when you link a skill to an age, then if you've got a child of that age and they're not doing that, you're going to be thinking, what's wrong? So what we've done is taken a, a different approach and the parents love it because we've mapped out the journey from birth through to five years and what's typically next. But the child progresses through the various streams within that journey. So whether that be sensory, cognitive, language, motor skills, at their pace. So what you're seeing as a parent is momentum because you're you're understanding what's likely to be coming next because we're telling you and you're understanding what it looks like and what you can do to support your child to, to master this. But when they master that, that opens up what's likely to be next. So the pace of the journey is completely unique to you and your child. And we've identified 1,300 um, skills um, and we've given sort of activities and interactions and thoughts and ideas that you can do with your children to help them master these over those five years. But you get the real sense of accomplishment and momentum because you start to master the skills. And, and as you master these skills, you can pop little... Um, photos and videos and voice notes in your what we call a scrapbook plus we give lots of additional reading around these skills so if you're a time poor parent literally within 20 seconds you could read the summary of the skill yeah. and you'd have enough of an idea to understand what it looks like and, and what it's how it's going to present in your child and what you can do to help them but if you're a parent that really likes to know the detail then you can um you, you can do what we call further reading. So you can click yeah. on a button that'll tell you the science and research behind it, even link it to the academic papers. Yeah. So you can either go right in deep or you can trust that what we're saying is right and either way it works for you. But then we also put lots of additional reading around that. So we're giving parents, you know, ideas and thoughts about sleep and, you know, their own wellness and things, you know, five things you can do this weekend to have a bit of fun in the outdoors. So there's some, you know, heavier content and lots of really light content. And the idea is it's that one true place that you can find out anything about children in those first five years. And, and, and I think I mentioned at the beginning, I'd sneakily 
loaded Louis into the system um, <laughs> ahead, of, ahead of us talking today. Just have, I think the thing that struck, I mean, first beyond the fact that the, the branding in the app is kind of gorgeous. I love the color palette of it. And, and I think that kind of followed through into the experience of using it was just feels really kind of calming and really kind of positive. There isn't that kind of stress around it. And I always find even with like our older boys at school, anything to do with school and dojo and things like that, it, it can get quite overwhelming and complicated very quickly. Um, and, and like you say, you've got those skills. And for me, I'd love the, I'd love the, you can click into it. Like you say, you get that kind of one or two paragraph headline on, on something yeah. Yeah. that takes it into enough detail that you kind of, you do feel yeah. like you understand it, but you're not overwhelmed. And like you say, yeah. if you want to dedicate more time, you can do. So there's, there's real yeah. kind of depth to it, even though at the top level, it's presented in a very kind of yeah. intuitive and, and, e- and easy to use way and broken out into those, those, those kind of sectors. But I think that's probably a reflection of since having the idea and you're now still fleshing it out, you've done an awful lot of kind of beta testing, haven't you, with, um, yeah, absolutely. with, with parents on, on the system? Yeah, so four months prior to launch, we got together a group of parents, over, over a thousand parents of not to three year olds in the UK, and we've been working with them to really, you know, understand what they want, tone of voice, you know, how much time they've got, how often they're going to use it, what's the right time, you know, of the day for us to do live so that you can interact yeah. with us, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're now on the App Store. We've launched about three weeks ago. Launched is a big word, actually, because our launch campaign, we're still signing it off at the moment. So we're probably going to do a big launch in about six weeks' time. But it's available now. So we've got um, parents downloading it. Um, you know, it's real. It's out there. And it's really, really exciting. We've raised the funds to launch the business. So we um, closed a funding round of £1.4 million um, at the beginning of January. And that's a, a big relief, you know, to get that done and get the money in the bank and know that you've bought yourself some time. We've got a, a, a runway now of about 15 months. Yeah. But also there is nowhere to hide. You know, yeah. that's it now. The money's in the bank. And, you know, on a daily basis, we're going to start getting stats about, you know, how many people have downloaded it, how many people are subscribing, how many people are churning off it. Um so yeah, it's it's a really exciting time, but also you know you got that slightly sick feeling in your stomach that you know you've got <laughs> a lot to do in this next fifteen months to make sure that you know you you've got everything you need to to grow this business because we have huge international aspirations for this business. Yeah, yeah. I feel the impact we can have on parents is phenomenal, and yeah. we want to get this in the hands of as many parents as possible. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm. Yeah, it's really exciting to kind of hear that, particularly the ambition behind it as well, because there's there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of exciting businesses popping out out of Greater Manchester at the moment as well. And um and you know, that tech sector is just is just one okay, ed ed tech, did you say? Is that is that kind of the t- ed tech? I guess it just feels like another sector where there's just massive scalability there, isn't there? Because people are facing the same. Yeah. These issues are kind of they're similar, you know, they cross cultures, they cross kind of boundaries, don't they? So, um, yeah, how exciting. How, how have you found the experience of starting a, a tech business in Greater Manchester at this point in time? And I guess going through a, a fundraising process, do you feel like the area is is open to this kind of opportunity to invest and support a business like my first five years? I do. I really feel that, you know, it's an exciting place to open a business. We've been able to 
um, get support from um, Greater Manchester Combined Authority as a sort of a high growth, um, high quality job creator. We've been able to get support from other high net worths. So our funding package was basically a combination of the, the Jobs Growth Fund and high net worths. Um, and the entire funding round was done in the region. It does worry me that um, it's a hard space um, to raise money, you know, for anybody. And I do think had I been a first time round founder, I don't know whether I'd have successfully raised the round. I think the 20 year history that I've got in, in Greater Manchester, the fact that I'm known within the region, the fact that Alistair brings such credibility to what we're doing. I think as second time round founders, it's possibly why we got the round away relatively quickly. Um, I don't know if I was a stranger knocking on people's doors with the same vision and the same ability, whether we'd have got it away. So I do recognise our starting point of a second time round founder was a massive, massive help to us. Yeah, absolutely. But equally, you know, as you say, you and Alistair are bringing a wealth of experience and credibility into that sector as well. So that's just going to, I think investors are looking for that as well. They're looking for the ideas, but they're looking for the team that are going to have the capability to go out and execute it. So massively exciting and, and excited to kind of see you be another another huge success story in Greater Manchester in the years to come. Um, well, so there's no guarantees, but I'll tell you what, we're going to grasp <laughs> and, and do our very, very best to make sure that's a true statement. Well, you know, having used the app, I think it, you know, I wish I wish it had existed 10 years ago when we had our first because um, it definitely feels like a gap. It definitely feels like a clear gap for something that that caters to that. Those everyday parent stresses that come in up in those kind of first three to five years, as you say. Um, and and just to start wrapping things up, are there any other businesses? Because you've 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 been on the Greater Manchester business scene for a few years. Are there kind of two or three businesses that you like to give a shout out to as well that you kind of got a lot of time for what they're doing in Greater Manchester? Do you know what I think? What I'll just some local businesses. There are there are loads of big businesses in Greater Manchester, and they don't need a shout out from me. But just yesterday, um, so we're now based in Didsbury, and I went for a walk for my lunch, and I went to uh, Burton Road Bakery, and I think they do the best freshly made sandwiches, and the cakes are just something else. So, um, and I've been going to Burton Road Bakery ever since Kids Aloud opened its head office in West Didsbury as well. So, yeah, definitely give a shout out to Mark there. Um, who else do I love on Burton Road? The next thing I did yesterday, we needed a tray for the office because uh, we needed the kitchens upstairs. We needed to be able to take our cups up and down. So I went and treated myself to an absolutely beautiful tray from David Gavin Design. So he's another, um, Matt runs that business and he's been in on Burton Road in Disbury for forever. Um, and just another absolutely brilliant company all about delivering an amazing personal an, an amazing personal service um the third one gosh nothing's nothing's jumping to mind um there are just so many fabulous businesses any business that puts the colleagues at the center of everything that they do so um of which none are popping into my head right now but you know you do see it and feel it as you're out and about and I think you know bus- the great businesses are the ones that recognize that they're people are delivering the experience to the customer and they need to look after them and they'll yeah. look after them. And I, I guess touching on that point, I'd be remiss to not mention it within the conversation, but you you rewarded an MBE, I think, for, for services to apprenticeships and that kind of progression of 
people through the kids allowed um business as well are you are you happy to just talk on that that subject and how that came about and what you know i guess what that that felt like because it's the first time we've had an mbe on the uh on the podcast and the opportunity to ask that question <laughs> i guess the first thing was i was genuinely delighted for the reason um that i got um the MBA, so services to apprenticeships is just a really nice reason to have got it. The reason I got into apprenticeships was um, when I first out kids allowed, high growth business needed lots and lots of colleagues. I first was recruiting for qualifications. So in the very early days of kids allowed, we'd have put adverts out there saying that we were looking for nursery nurses. I had a bit of a eureka moment along my journey that actually it's not about qualifications. It's about the aptitude and the attitude and the values of the people that we're employing. Um, and we completely turned on its head the way that we employed um, people at Kids Allowed. And we stopped recruiting for qualifications and, and our whole recruitment process was geared around looking for characteristics that we felt were aligned to our values as a business. So then we ended up with unqualified colleagues, which is a problem in childcare because they need to have the qualification. So I set up um, a training academy and that um, training academy was all about um, transforming the, the knowledge and giving the qualifications and the, you know, the professional capability to people that already had an amazing attitude. And when we completely turned it on its head, I think that was the biggest transformative thing that we did for Kids Allowed uh, because we were in control of the professional development of the colleagues. But before we ever started filling the heads with all that stuff, we knew that their heart was aligned to what we were trying to do. Yeah. I, th I think that's a great learning point for any business leader or any entrepreneur listening to this is you can always teach people, can't you? But if, you, if you've not got the right attitude or if you've got a set of values that you're trying to run the business by, trying to recruit against that, you know, when I was at Innocent Drinks, that was something that made that business very successful was recruiting by capability and kind of mindset. Yeah, and then, absolutely. you know, and recruiting people from different sectors and different kind of backgrounds and, and yeah, bringing in all yeah. that, that variety and diversity of, of experience. Fantastic. And then final, final question, anything, anything we're lacking in greater Manchester, be it weather, be it you talked that you touched on funding, I think earlier, like when you look at the, the business community, is there anything that we could do to up our game in greater Manchester going forward? Uh, do you know what? I think Manchester's got so much going on for it there. The only thing Manchester's lacking, as far as I'm concerned, is the Mediterranean Sea. I just yeah. wish we were Manchester on Med. Um, <laughs> I would start every day with a swim in the, in clear, warm waters. I really, really miss the sea, and I love the yeah. sound of the sea, and it really calms me. And I just, if I had one wish for Manchester, it was it was that it was. There was a beach somewhere. Um, <laughs> no, as, as regards, on a serious We all go though, to Anglesey for that, don't we? Anglesey's going to Cheshire on Sea, I think. Everybody, everybody goes and you just end up sat in traffic. I just, just yeah. not my idea of fun. Um, no, a, a, a startup funding ecosystem is desperately yeah. needed. You know, there's a gap where it's really, really difficult to get hold of cash. I think one of my ideas was that every fund, every VC fund, every, you know, fund that's out there, should have a percentage of it that has to go into the really early stage ecosystem. Yeah. A bit like when you go for, you know, big planning schemes for housing now, you have to have some affordable housing as part of it. I think something is going to have to change to, to really fuel the opportunities because it's far easier, allegedly, I've never done it, but it's far easier to go and raise cash in America than it is to raise cash here. And 
we need to compete. You know, if we want to grow, if we want to retain talent, if we don't want to miss out on opportunities that never got off the ground, um, we need to make that just a little bit easier. Yeah, no, great call to action. And where can people go to? Well, you, you mentioned the, the app store. So in my first five years, where should people be going to to find out more about the business, the app, what you're up to as it's developing? That's really kind of you to ask. Um, well, the website tells you everything you need to know, and that's mffy.com, which is, stands for my first five years. Yeah. Um, or just go and download the app from the App Store. Um, you just search for my first five years, and you get a 14-day free trial, so you can try out all the features of the app, the full depth and breadth of the product, um, and then you opt in. So, you know, we don't take your details and then hope you forget to cancel your subscription. You genuinely try it properly for a couple of weeks and then if you love it you opt in so just a small example that we do things really ethically at my first five years (laughs) i I didn't even notice that as i downloaded it and what a beautiful point because it's another stressor is all these things that you sign up for subscriptions and hand your details over yeah thinking oh i've got to set up a calendar reminder now to to cancel that in a few weeks time so that's brilliant that you do it that way i think that's a that's a a much more kind of parent-friendly way to introduce yourselves to the service, isn't it? Denny Johnson, Emmy, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being so generous and sharing your story. Really, really appreciate it. We'll see you again soon. I've really enjoyed myself. Thanks very much. Bye then. Greater Manchester Business Stories is produced and presented by Joe Taylor of Real Handful. The special guest was Jenny Johnson from My First Five Years. You can find out more about Real Handful by visiting realhandful.com and you can see more from My First Five Years at mffy.com. That's the initials for My First Five Years, mffy.com. Audio production was by me, Andy Blackaby-Isles. And you can see more from me at abientertainment.co.uk.